November of 1963, the longest-running science fiction series first aired and took the world by storm. Since that date, this television program has continued in multiple comic books. The goal of this podcast is to review these comic... Welcome to Doctor Who Comic Book Review. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken and Brian. Episode number 146, recorded November 17th, 2013. And contrary to the music that we just heard, this is Star Trek Comic Book Review with a Doctor Who crossover, not normally a Doctor Who only podcast. We kind of like the opening, so we keep using it. So anyways, we have a guest, Brian. He's back. Hi. Hi. Welcome, Brian. It's good to be back. Another great Star Trek and Doctor Who fan. There are many commonalities between us, different types of geeks, and Brian is definitely somebody that loves both franchises. And the truth is that I love uh, Doctor Who because of, and I kid you not, Star Trek comic book review. It's true. Oh, we converted him. That's you right. You did. I completely did. forgot about that. Uh-huh. This is what happened. I listened to the April Fool's episode that you did. Not the first one where you, you totally confused me, but the the next one where you, you did the Doctor Who comic books. Mm-hmm. And I was intrigued. I thought, you know, more than I'd ever been before. And then um, it was it was last, not this most recent summer, but the summer before that, I was at camp and telling somebody about it, and they started telling me about Doctor Who, and that's when I started watching the show. And it is, So I've only been a Doctor Who fan for a little over a year. Which is why this is a very interesting exercise for me because when I when this Assimilation Two came out, I hadn't seen any Doctor Who, and by the time it finished, I was about halfway through the Tenant Years and hadn't seen any Matt Smith. So when I revisited it to read to get ready for this episode, it was an entirely different experience from reading it. From, it was, I loved it. It was as opposed to the first time when I was like, eh, it's okay. You know, it 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 was um, being a fan helps. Just saying. It does. It does. And, and, and thank and, you very much for that. And that's interesting because you definitely do, you have a different view from us. Because mm-hmm. definitely Donovan and I were kind of raised with it. And we definitely knew the old doctors and the new doctors after the uh, vacation they took on the series. And you're coming at this from a different place. So yep. it should be The only one I had ever seen at that point before I started watching it last summer or in summer... Uh, Two summers ago was uh, the Eighth Doctor. I'd seen that when it was on, I, you know, just on once, and I happened happened to catch it. Yeah, the movie of the week there on Fox. That's right. I in was nineteen ninety six. Yep. Yeah. yeah. The 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 pilot that didn't make it. Unfortunately, although it was still good, even though some oh. of what they did in it was not was just not appropriate. It was all gold, and <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with that movie. They're, they're, I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, issue with that. but the doctor is not half human. Right, and the whole limited number of lives is that established somewhere else in canon? Oh yeah, that that oh, is. Yeah. Yep. If if they go off that with this new series, which it sounds like they're not going to, but that that's a big sticking point from classic Who is he has thirteen lives, he can only regenerate twelve times. That's it. Hmm. 
And, you know, it was always a thing with the master that the master was always killing people or whatever to increase the number of regenerations he could get. And so that was why, like in the eighth Doctor movie, he was trying to steal the Doctor's regenerations because he had already used up all of his and then some. So Right. And I have to say, even though I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan, I've been doing my best, you know, uh, it's... Uh, I don't know as much about the the backstory, the old classic as I could. And I watched some. I've watched at least one series of every Doctor, you know, the sets of four that they did, um, and uh, just to kind of get a flavor for them. And you know, it's um, it's an act of love. It's <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's not an easy thing to do, um, but uh, I do want to know the stories. Like as soon as well, I, we haven't gone there yet, but. Um, as soon as I find something that I think has some backstory, I'll I'll go back and research it. You know what I mean? Right. So you went back and watched one story arc of each of the Doctors? Is Uh, that what you just said? Yes, yes. And I don't know that I've gotten through um, all four episodes of every single one, but I have certainly gone back and tried to get the flavor of every one. Oh, okay. Yeah, Yeah, the the, the Troutons are not always easy to find. Um... (laughs) Cool. Well, I went. I, I went through Netflix is mostly the only. Thing. Ah. I did buy the. I, I wanted to see the Eighth Doctor again because it's so key, and uh, so I had to buy that because he can't find it anywhere. Right. Right. Well worth the purchase. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am a fan. <laughs> Should we talk about Night of the Doctor? Yeah. Let's do it. We keep so... on bringing up the Eighth Doctor. Oh. <laughs> so if you're listening to this and you don't know the, uh, they just released a mini episode called Night of the Doctor which is a prequel to the Day of the Doctor episode that's coming out in a couple of weeks. Right. So good. It it's was so good. It's short and compact, but really good. And, and it raises all sorts of new questions, and it's 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 just, there's just that moment. I mean, are we going to do spoilers here? or what? Yeah, so let's do spoilers. It's seven minutes. If you haven't watched it already, pause it, go to YouTube, find it, watch it, and come back. Because it's worth it. We're, it, it. we're about to destroy it if you don't do that. It's probably the best six minutes of Doctor Who. I think. I mean, it's compact. There's no lull, and it's just uh, every line. I think it's so great. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. And it fills in a important gap in right. Doctor Who history, and creates a new big gap. My, one of my questions. Well, well, is this is this prequel, which seem to me seems so um, pivotal, must be pivotal to what's coming. Yes. When you watch Day of the Doctor, are they going to repeat it? Is this the first six minutes of that, or is this just they're just going to pick up from the end of this seven-minute segment? I, I doubt they reshow it. I think it's just no. going to pick up from from it, there. Up to now, all the minisodes have been standing on their own, and they were not included directly the film directly in any standard episode. Right, and they mostly fit in to whatever gap they're supposed to be filling. They're like, right. you know, they start with the end of one episode and they begin, sorry, yeah, they start with the end of an episode and when they end is the beginning of another episode. Right. Well, it depends. Because, yeah, some are like that. But a lot of them are like just filling in little gaps. Like giving more information. What, Scracks, is it? Uh, yeah, that one, one where he's just talking. The, right. One of the most recent ones, yeah. Right. So, that's a nice little bit of... Uh, just fill it, fleshing out a character that didn't necessarily directly have to do with the beginning of one episode and the end of another. But they've had some other ones, like there was the Pawn's Life, which it, it was like 
when that season when Matt Smith would drop off the pawns at the end of every episode and then pick right. them up the next week, um, there's always a mini episode that explains what the pawns were doing during that week, which which is pretty good to fill in some of the gaps as far as you know what ultimately happened with them, where they were going to get divorced and all that stuff. So um, hmm. those are actually pretty good as far as filling in some gaps. Yeah. But uh, but anyways, in regards to this one, Eighth Doctor shows back up. Uh, has a little short adventure, and then, uh, uh, well, spoil it, he uh, takes a potion to re- cause himself to regenerate into a warrior doctor, so that he wouldn't necessarily be the ninth doctor, he would be a, uh, a warrior uh, incarnation. <laughs> exactly. So, so I gotta ask, so that's how they get around the numbering? He's the war doctor, so therefore he doesn't get a number? Right, that's what's that's what I'm thinking, and I and I'm I'm actually kind of okay with that. Well, I'm kind of okay with it too, but it seems like kind of a. Hmm. We know he's going to be eight point five. That's going to be his designation, John Hurts. <laughs> well, they've it's been saying that they've been saying that since the last episode of the previous season where they first introduced him, and we first started hearing about him. People were theorizing eight point five, eight point five. Yeah, I guess right. I guess he could be because we but definitely he know he comes in between. Right. Echo, well, now, Echo, now we Echoson. know for sure. Right. Before it was, you know, where did he fall? But right. now we know 100. percent He's right. He was definitely uh, immediately after McGann, and must be before Eccleston. Exactly. First thing, and, and, I have to take I have to take a little bit of a um, issue with the way Donovan you said, yeah, the Eighth Doctor's back. The Eighth Doctor is back. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> McGann is on screen as the Doctor. Very yes. very cool. And he didn't just take potion to, to cause his regeneration. He basically died in that crash, and the they brought him back sisters of Karn brought him back for, like, what, eight, four minutes or something? And um, so he, he was going to die, and, if, and the potion well, caused the regeneration to be, to be the war doctor. Right. So, so the way it... Good point. So the way it works is if you die before regeneration is triggered, that's it. Apparently. Unless the in... sisters of Karn are able to resurrect him, right? Well, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if he actually died. Died because if well, he died, they... then he should have regenerated right then. That's one well... of the little questions I have about it. Okay, because they said pretty. Yeah, they said pretty he clearly he died. No, yeah, no, they did. But... but somehow they were able to give him four minutes before his regeneration and gave him the option to choose his next well... incarnation versus just letting it be random. Right. Well, I keep wondering well, what's the, what, what's the tension between him and the the sisters, and um, so I looked it up, and it turns out that that's from a Tom Baker episode, which I have not seen. The sisters of Karn are from you know our established characters from way back. Right. Interesting. I didn't know the, that. They're from they're from uh, they're from the Tom Baker episode, and then there was an Eighth Doctor two parter audio adventure with Paul McGann as the Doctor, where he revisits Karn, which makes his comment when he when he kind of realizes who he who she is he's like am i back am i am i on Karn? i mean so that was actually you know it could mean either he's remembering tom baker or he's remembering his uh adventure in that incarnation so cool how that works i just loved it and and you know let me just say that that when she says he only has four minutes left and his line about uh what if i get time what if I get bored? Need a television? <laughs> Anybody for some chess? 
bring me some knitting. I just love that line. It's just I know sarcasm. Uh, and, and, and and of course, this whole thing—the little adventure that leads up to his death—is all in the middle of the time war. And yeah. there is a character I don't remember her name. I bet you guys do. Yes. Cass, Cass. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so Cass is uh, the pilot of a gunship or something. Is she supposed to be human? Yeah. Well, she looks human, but they don't actually say it. I don't think. Time lords look human too. It's, I well, think she's supposed I, to be an alien of some sort. Okay, but the main point is they are apparently drawn into the. There are other races drawn into the time war, which I did not realize. I thought it was mostly the Daleks and the Time Lords, but Cass, whoever she is, whatever race she's from establishes that other people are drawn into it. At least it establishes it for me. I didn't I, I did not know that. And the Eccleston and even some of the tenant they've they've mentioned that the whole universe was brought in and that there was more than just the Time Lords that became extinct. Like one of the first times they talk about how big it was is that uh, gaslight alien episode with, with Charles Dickens. Mm-hmm. Um, they do mention that you know those ghosts that were coming in through the gaslight were actually another race that was completely obliterated during the Time War. So they have established that it was more encompassing than just those two races. Cool. Which I okay. loved. I lo- well. And I liked in this episode that people do not like the Time Lords. They think that you know they could yeah. have prevented it or they are the cause of the war, which I thought was pretty a- good. At least there's a little part of the universe here you haven't destroyed yet. Something like that's what she says. Yeah. Right. So at that's least some people think they're at least as responsible for the time war as the Daleks. Right. Yeah, that's what this... It, what, is, what was her name? Kess. Um, Kess. Right. She's, she's an Ocampa, right? She's... <laughs> Ocampa? <laughs> yeah. Um, she, I don't remember but, all the facial stuff on her, but... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but she like turned into some like energy being, so she can be whatever she wants. She's future, um, but uh, yeah, she she basically says that's why she's so angry with him because she he is a time lord. Yeah. So and she won't take his help, and that's what leads to them both dying. But right. oh well. So, so it's it, gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see whether she somehow is resurrected and accompanies the war doctor, or whether she she's probably just uh, ended as of that little yeah. uh, thing. No, nah, she's done. I doubt we ever see her again. And last thing I just want to say about it is, you know, that's great that they've got John Hurt as the doctor, and he's the war doctor, and they've got a they've got a reflection of him as a younger man. So, you know, if he's really the war doctor, I was just envisioning like Arnold Schwarzenegger or uh, maybe Vin Diesel, you know, being the war doctor, uh, not little skinny uh, John Hurt. Right, but he but he does have that that bandolier across his shoulder, so I guess that's what makes him the war doctor. <laughs> I'd just like to say before we move on, just to the BBC, I'm a little disappointed that the simulcast of the 3D film isn't going to be for two days after the uh, 50th anniversary is showing. Okay, there, you got it out. Well, they they are doing a simulcast in like six cities, and then they're doing the larger one on. Oh the right, we talked Monday. about this, Donovan. Donovan's not going to go because it's forty five minutes away. <laughs> and I'm already them, going on Monday, so I don't want to see it twice. Oh yeah, that would be terrible. Oh, well, oh, that'd be that, terrible, uh, Donovan. And I told him forty five minutes in Maine. That's like going to the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've already pre ordered the uh, you know the three D Blu Ray, so I. I don't really see what benefit I'm going to get out of watching it at the theater twice. 
I know it's just it's just killing me that that that's what I wish. It's the closest large large city to me is Boston, and it's not it's not playing in Boston. Oh really? Wow. Well, come out. I mean, I, I mean not not playing on on Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. All right, and before we move, my last thing is the William Hurt Doctor War Doctor or John Hurt, excuse me. He obviously doesn't have a TARDIS, and so the the big question at the end of that episode to the first episode of Christopher Clusty and Rose is how does he rebuild the TARDIS? Because it's established that the TARDIS that he's in now is the same TARDIS that you know William Hartnell was in the first series, so it was completely destroyed. What? John doesn't have it at the end, and and all the things we've seen of him, he doesn't have a TARDIS in during the war years or whatever. So I'm really curious as to how it gets rebuilt, and then Christopher Eccleston eventually gets a hold of it again. Well, now wait a minute. No wait a minute. The two two uh, one Time Lord and one human being may not have survived that crash, but they are intact enough to be able to be worked on. And come on, did you see the crash? Like nothing. It would, they would be goo. And so, if if those two beings can still be intact, they'll find a way to make. The I TARDIS. thought we saw wreckage of the time TARDIS scattered around, so that's why I'm saying that. Did we? I didn't. See I think I just had to watch it again. I didn't. I didn't remember that detail, but I, it's very possible. I've rewatched it quite a few times. So. <laughs> I'm not I saying know where that every part I, is. <laughs> I, I may have mis mis misrepresented it, but I thought I saw TARDIS pieces uh, amongst the debris. Uh, TARDIS Lord. parts. We will. <laughs> That's what they used to call me in middle school. Um, um, <laughs> All right. Well, I think enough we, of that. We've we've killed that thing. Um, and by the time this airs, the, the the whole day of the Doctor will have already probably been. Oh yeah. And, yeah. Yes. It'll be a week old by this point. So all this conjecture is going to be like, ah, you guys didn't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, okay. Well. Anything else before we get into issue number five? No. All right. Okay. Well, then I will jump into the synopsis. Issue five came out September 2012. Um, It's actually fewer covers on this issue than than in previous issues. So we have the regular cover, which just... Yeah. But can I I just say that the regular cover makes up for any number of other covers they could put out? Thank you. Thank you. I, I think I, that has to be said. I, as I was looking at this, the, the that cover, I want it as a poster. It's it's my favorite comic book cover ever. Well, let's Thanks. make sure we're talking about the same one. You're talking about the Picard Doctor in the TARDIS cover? Gazing out in wonder. Yeah, that they captured Picard perfectly in that moment. Is that the one you're talking about, Ken? Hell no. I didn't think so. <laughs> I'm talking about the I, R.I. one. But the other one's good, too. <laughs> Ken, Ken, Ken. At least you're consistent. <laughs> I had to just go look at what it was. Come on, the ladies of Trek and uh, and Amy, Amelia. All right. We're more with the philosophical cover. <laughs> You've been married too long. Okay. Uh, just to give a little backstory, when we were. When these were coming out, I remember Ken pre-ordering his, and he was just so excited about the cover, and I hadn't seen it yet. He's like, oh, it has the ladies, it has the ladies. And I'm like, what <laughs> are you talking about? <laughs> and I, it's a nice cover, but when you started saying that, I knew that was the cover you were talking about. 
I, quite frankly, I, I didn't remember that it was the uh, that it was an alternate cover. But because you normally don't buy the alternate covers. No, I don't. I, I normally don't. But I did this time. That was, a, that was a, a really funny miss that that we were just talking about two very different things. <laughs> there you go. All, All right. right. Sorry, go as you were. <laughs> All right, well, since we've already kind of described it, uh, the regular cover shows Ricard and Doctor standing in the TARDIS, uh, looking out at the space, the final frontier outside the door. Uh, the alternate cover, R.I., shows uh, Amy standing in the middle of Troy and Crusher. Amy's holding a phaser. And uh, both Cro- Troy and Crusher are looking at Amy out of the corner of their eyes. Uh, they're all standing in front of a big Starfleet swoosh, which has the time tunnel with inside of it. And then the upper left-hand corner shows the Enterprise D, and the lower right shows the TARDIS. So this is written by Scott and David Tipton, pencils by Gordon Purcell, painted art by J.K. Woodward, lettering by Sean Lee, and edited by Denton J. Tipton. That's weird. You think they're related? He's related to Scott and David. Mm, no uh, odds way are no. no. <laughs> odds are no, but who knows? So wouldn't that be something if Denton was the father and Scott and David were the sons, and they well, all did one perfect, comic? Because he's, he's the the editor, so it's exactly. Like... That's why I'm saying. <laughs> And he Dad. just gives it, he just gives it to him here. That's right. What were you thinking? See what you. That's doing. right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry. This part where Doctor says "blah" just does not ring true. Redo it. Make me All proud. Right. Finish the dishes. All right. <laughs> All right. You ready? Ready. Yes. All right. So the story starts with the Doctor on the bridge of the Enterprise and he's asking again for Picard to reconsider working with the Borg to fight off the Cybermen. Picard refuses to budge. He orders a course set to Earth and he and the Doctor take their conversation to the privacy of the Captain's ready room. Once there, they are joined by Guinan and she informs the Doctor about Picard's previous dealings with the Borg. She gives a very thorough recounting of the events of Best of Both Worlds Part 1 and 2. So basically we get three pages of black and white artwork that recreate uh, basically the two episodes. Picard does not change his mind. Despite the Doctor's pleas that the enhanced Cyberman force will take over the universe after they're done with the Borg. Picard tells him that he does not know that for certain there's a chance that the Cyberman-Borg war could last for years and actually wipe out both species. Later, on the bridge, Data informs the Captain and the Doctor that the Borg have launched several more craft at the oncoming Cyberman force, only to be destroyed with ease. Picard still holds fast that they are not to intervene and to continue to Earth. Meanwhile, back in sickbay, Rory and Amy are having a look around. Rory is in awe at the advancements in medical science, and we are reminded of his nursing background. Troy joins the group just as the doctor arrives in sickbay. The doctor cannot understand why the captain cannot see the threat that the Cybermen represent. Troy suggests that perhaps the captain needs to hear it from another person, and she and the doctor look at Amy. Amy is a bit confused. Later, in Picard's ready room, there's a chime at the door. After the trademark response, come, 
Amy enters and tells Picard goodbye. She tells him of all the times that the Doctor had saved the Earth and the universe. She says that she will not try to tell him what to do, but she asks if they can show him something. He agrees, and the two make their way to the holodeck. Once at the holodeck, they see the TARDIS still parked where it was within the grid lines of the holodeck. The doctor invites Picard in. Picard is surprised that it's bigger on the inside. The doctor then takes Picard on a sightseeing tour through time. First, he goes 50 years into the future and shows him Kronos, where it's been overtaken by the Cybermen. We see Cybermen on the planet sporting the Klingon symbol on their chest and holding batleths. Another trip, and the Doctor shows the Captain the planet of Raxacorafalapaltronis. I know I mispronounced that. But anyways, they're now 30 years into the future, and we see that the Cybermen have taken over the Slitheen. And we see lots of Cybermen, Slitheen people walking around. Then, another trip, they now arrive to Vulcan 20 years after that. All the wisdom of Vulcan has been lost to the machines. 25 years more in the future, they visit Judon, and we see the rhino-like inhabitants now encased in Cybermen armor. Finally, they arrive to Earth, and they see Starfleet Command 40 years later. The humans have finally fallen to the Cybermen, and we see several humans in next-generation uniforms being marched to conversion chambers. So it takes 205 years, but Earth and Starfleet are finally wiped out. Finally, Picard tells the Doctor that he wins. He will talk to the Borg and offer assistance to stop this future from happening. To be continued. Wow. So Nicely done. It took an entire issue just to talk Picard into listening to the Borg. Right. Yes. Yes, it did. (laughs) (laughs) Picard can be very stubborn. You know, but that's kind of what I liked about not just this issue, but this whole series, is, is they capture the characterization of both the characters and the sort of feel of the two shows, and they have them running side by side. And it became less about, you know, what happens action-wise and more about sort of watching that interaction of, of the, the, the the mingling of the two shows. It wasn't like they just threw them together. They retained a certain um, sense, sensibility of each show. And I really, I just really liked it. I thought it was well done. It, that, that is good. I do agree that that is good. And they're kind of back and forth with, like, who's contributing and who's moving the story forward and whose strengths are being leveraged. Uh-huh. So that's all cool. It's just an entire issue dedicated to getting Picard to change his mind. I just thought it was a little long. Well, it, but, didn't, it didn't help that there's three pages of story that we already know. I mean, yeah. Yeah, when I when I was reading that, the same thought. I was like, okay, this is this is. But you know what? The more I look, the more what they did it really well. In three pages, they got two hours of of episode, and they got they hit the high points. I, I decided yeah. to forgive them. <laughs> yeah, it, they did do it well. It's just it was three pages that I I looked at, but I didn't read because, quite frankly, I knew what happened. But you know, visually, it was kind of cool. Yeah, the the artwork I think is really nice. Yeah. The black and white style. 
But I don't know. I think you could have had a panel or two, and then you know that she just told the whole story. Right. You know, so anyways. And then the whole It's a Wonderful Life uh, thing with the TARDIS, I have some problems with. Um, I mean, yeah, it's cool that he keeps bouncing from universe to universe to show Picard how the Cybermen have taken over both Picard's universe and the Doctor's universe. But that brings in the whole question as to, you know, can the Doctor bounce from universe to universe without any type of problem? Because I thought that he kind of ended up in the Star Trek universe in issue one kind of by accident, not uh, intentional and and fairly easy to control like it is here. Yeah, It's a time and space machine. I don't remember it being a dimension jumping machine, but uh, okay. Well, it can. It has. I mean, it, there well, is. Well, apparently, pro- did. <laughs> there In is precision the of it. But hey, you it, know what? Go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. Well, well I'm jumping back, and it occurs to me that the reason why we had those three pages of um, review is because this was written for both uh, Star Trek and Doctor Who fans, and oh, there sure. may there there may be some Doctor Who fans out there that are actually not Star Trek The Next Generation fans and would have no idea what Picard's motivation for two issues of being a grump would be. <laughs> yeah, so, and I'm sure I'm sure there's two or three people in the entire <laughs> planet. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I bet you will find I bet you there's people out there that uh that are especially, you know, in England and uh, that really love Doctor Who and just aren't really into the Star Trek thing. Yeah. Um and so that's it just occurred to me now that's why they did that. Well, yeah, I mean that, that's why they did it. It's just, it just for I would think the the majority of folks out there reading this comic who would pick this up and read it, they probably know that particular pretty important pivotal point in the overall Star Trek Next Gen narrative. But yeah, I, yeah. I would guess. But yeah, I think that's. But look at you. I mean, you didn't even know the Doctor existed. Well, you probably knew he existed, but you really ah. were never watching stuff until uh, you know, like a year ago. So exactly, exactly. So. That's why this was a whole different. I mean, it was a whole different read for me because when I heard the the doctor, I heard Matt Smith's doctor speaking, and 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 you know, it was just the first time it was like an interesting story, but this time it was really like that's what I meant about the characterizations. They were all there. Picard felt like Picard. The doctor felt like the doctor, and um, you know, that's not always the case in these comic books. They just kind of tell a story with images that kind of look like the people, but I felt, there were times when I was reading this series the second time through, I really felt like I was watching an episode. Right. Um, and it was really, it was in a good one. No, I agree with you 100%. I think the writing was, was fantastic as far as dialogue goes. Just a few little little hiccups I think they, it has. Hmm. I mean, and like I was trying to say earlier, the whole dimension jumping, uh, I mean, in in the David Tennant series, he jumps dimensions once, and he says that the TARDIS would never be able to do that again. I mean, that was the whole reason why him leaving Rose was supposed to be so heart-wrenching, was because the TARDIS couldn't make those jumps anymore, because, you know, he doesn't have all the power that the Gallifreyans used to have before the Time War, you know. So yeah, that- he, do- he does make a real point that interdimensional travel is dangerous and hard and not not to be done lightly. Right, and then here in the series, the first issue, you know, he, the Doctor has that crystal or whatever, and somehow I thought that crystal is what uh, got, you know, caused the TARDIS to bounce into the Star Trek universe. But here it is; he's just bouncing back and forth, you know, no issues. Yeah. Very handy. 
I mean, it's cool to see, you know, the Slitheen and the Vulcans and the Klingons, Jadoons all dressed up as Cybermen, but... And just to get back yeah. to Raxacor, Cofalopatorius was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> well, but are you familiar with the Slytherine? Yes. Yeah, he okay. watched the David Tennant okay. ones. Well, okay. I mean, the, so you watched the all of them? Ones. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I've okay, watched okay. from from the from you know the eighth the, Doctor. The, the storm mannequins are coming back nah. all the way up to <laughs> you know all okay. the way up. Good, because at first when I was seeing the Slytherines and then the uh, later the Jadoon, it was like, I wasn't even sure who they were at first, but then as I took a closer look, oh right, the Rhino guys that are cops, right, I can see the Rhino on the front of the uh, Cybermen helmet, and then the arm, you know, the left the left arm with the clawy kind of things, okay. I thought it was well, interesting. That's, that's, what I, that's one of the things about the, the series um, Doctor Who that intrigues me, is that I don't know everything from the backstory. So when I get a sense, I sort of mentioned this, when I get a sense, I kind of start to do some research. There was the episode at the end of one season where they all came back, not the, not the, um, the end of the Tenant years, but the year before that. Um, and who was the guy in the wheelchair with the messed up face and the, the no eyes? Uh, oh, and, Davros. And, and the bad teeth, yeah. He... I didn't. I, I I got the sense the way they were talking that he and Sarah Jane had a history, et cetera. And you go back and you find out, oh yeah, he's from the old show. I yeah. love the, the the you know. Now to say you love continuity in Doctor Who is kind <laughs> of ridiculous, but I love the fact that they they draw the the lines back and they pull stuff from the old show. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah, I like it. I think they've done a good job with that show, kind of bringing them back, but giving them a a, a new spin. And spending a little bit more money on the outfits? <laughs> <laughs> Just a little. Just a little. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I think the, um, in, in, always, the and even in Star Trek as well, the, the trick is to keep the true fans happy with all sorts of subtle and, um, you know, deep references that they will get that will not throw the story or make it hard to find for newbies that are just jumped on board. That that's a hard balance, and they do yeah, a good job. Right, and I don't think Star Trek has always been very good at that. Look at the movies. I mean, the movies I think compensate too hard with the we have to make this movie accessible to anybody who hasn't ever watched Star Trek. So then you get you know huge gaping plot holes where you know before shows up, but we're not going to even talk about lore or any of the other androids that we've seen in the seven years of Next Generation. <laughs> you know, we're not going to talk of that. You know. Picard yeah. has a clone. Oh my God, we've never seen this before. What are you talking about? There's been clones of Riker. There's been clones of you know all these other people. <laughs> this is not new, but we can't mention that because you know somebody sitting in the theater might not have seen that episode. Yeah, you know, or so. they they change how you spell Kronos. Oh um, my God, right? That new or, one. Or, or Data's emotion chip grows fifty times as large and change shape. Then it go from a circle to a big square. Or yeah, the other way yeah, around. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah so, I mean, they... Anyways. So, I, I, moving I, on. Yeah. All right, so it, real quick in regards to the, the Cybermen on every planet thing. So, uh, you know, the Cybermen take your brain out and put you in a Cyberman body. You don't have anything left of your organic body. So I don't understand why each species has to look different. I mean... The Jadoon right. would not look, still look like a rhino. They would look like a Cyberman, but they would have, you know, maybe the if their brain was bigger than the normal Cyberman helmet would hold, 
it might look different, but I don't understand why, you know, they look so drastically different from planet to planet. Yeah, why do you need because a Klingon? Because it, it looks cooler that way. Yeah. It does look cool. I, I will give it the coolness, <laughs> the cool factor. <laughs> and if you go back to the, the the beginning of the Doctor Who series, all the way back to the '60s, the Cybermen, with except for that bar that goes up, over, and down, they they change pretty routinely. I mean, true. Their basic look is the same, but you know, you could put a whole bunch of pictures up of different looking Cybermen. Yeah. Well, tech upgrades too. Plus, they might have lost the previous outfits and had to make new ones. Well, yeah, because they used to be made out of aluminum foil, so. <laughs> I thought it was plastic paint, painted silver. Yes, uh, there you go. Some of those, some of those Troughton episodes, uh, like uh, Tomb of the Cybermen, yeah. it looks like it's foil, but. Yeah. Well, Although... the bottom, just like Star Trek, the BBC didn't have the biggest budgets in the world, and one thing definitely about the Doctor is because they had aliens all the time. Some of them were really schlocky looking. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, you bring up an interesting point, though, Donovan, that that I that this issue actually brought back for me, and I've never actually said it out loud, but I always wondered this: in the next generation, um, when Picard is assimilated, they obviously they want him to speak to the to the planet Earth, blah blah blah. But why do they give him his own identity if it's one collective? Why is he the only Borg, other than the Queen that we know of, that has his own name, Locutus? And it, it, to me, that never made sense. And every time they, they run into him in the comic books or even in the show afterwards, they call him Lacutus. Right. And it's it's like, w- what is the individual identity about when that's antithetical to the whole idea of the Borg, which is one collective? Well, in the best of both worlds, don't they mention that you know that they created him to help ease the um, assimilation of the Alpha yes. Quadrant? Yes, there is which, a line there. Which doesn't make sense, you're right, but that's how they answered it. And and there's actually a novel written by Peter David called Star Trek The Next Generation Vendetta, I believe, which does delve into that quite a bit, because the Borg come back, they, they try to do a whole spokesman type thing again, and um, Shelby is actually a pretty big, big player in, in that book, so... If you ever have some free time and and you can find it in paperback, uh, it's it's worth a read. I think I probably have it here amongst all my Star Trek stuff. I just so, haven't read it yet. So is the is the bottom line that basically Locutus is is a very unusual Borg? I mean, they yeah they purposely made him so that he would be a face of the Borg for species that you know they found that would you know that could resist them or had been prob- problematic in the past. Well, that so happens that, in this book too. There's the Riker freaks out when he recognizes the Borg that's being that's representing them, and they say, "Well, we thought that it would it would make you feel better if you right if you, if you knew but, one yeah. of us." But he didn't give him a name. Oh, actually, well, we're kind of spoiling the next issue. We are. Let's table that one. But we'll come back to it. Yeah. Good. Good catch. <laughs> good catch. So, um, my last comment on this issue: I liked it a lot. You know, they keep jumping 50 years, 25 years, whatever, in his little It's a Wonderful Life thing. So we're supposedly 250 years from the point where they start when they see Earth fall, which seems kind of excessive to me that, that every other planet in the quadrant would fall before Earth. I agree with that. But and I, specifically Starfleet yeah. Academy. 
Right. If you were going to attack Earth, wouldn't you attack Starfleet Academy first, or or governmental important installations? Anyway, just 250 years seems excessive, and then everybody's still wearing next generation uniforms, which I yeah. thought was weird. Yeah. yeah, I had the same Good thought. Good point. Good point. All right, I'll let you guys hash out all your comments. Sorry. No, we're we're covering most of what I got written here. Yeah. I thought it was interesting how Guinan actually used the word cyber conversion. They did a good job with that. I thought, see, that's what I mean when they blended the two. Putting Guinan in there is sort of, you know, that whole um, Enterprise C thing where she's kind of knows something's not right. I just, it worked. I thought that that was a good way to blend these two. You know, when they, when they first announced they were going to do this, I was like, oh, please. But I really think they did a good job. I think that they, they retain. Uh, the individual sense of each series, but they blended them well in a really fun way. And Guinan is a good example of that. Yeah. Yeah, I I think, I think they really put some effort into the, into this uh, script, into these, uh, these issues, story-wise. And I applaud them also. Although... I I, I guess I, I, this is one of the few times I've read a comic book where I thought, I would like to see this as a script for a live-action episode or movie. Right. I really did. I kept thinking, this would be really good if they really did this. Well, Davies tried. Did he? Yeah, supposedly... Apparently so. Yeah, supposedly he uh, he tried to get a Ninth Doctor Star Trek Enterprise crossover, because they were, you know, Enterprise was still on when it started. Didn't quite work out, but uh, we almost had one. Yeah. Oh, that's news to me. Yeah, it was news to me, too. Now, I read that from the British tabloid The Sun back when I was in the UK, so... The tabloid? Eh, it's a tabloid, but usually they're pretty accurate. When I was there, it was when the Ninth Doctor first started coming back, and every newspaper had something about Star Trek in it, and, in you know, my wife's a big Star Trek fan, so I was getting them all, and I remember that article very well, because I was just like, oh, that would have been perfect. <laughs> that was that was before you know I knew that Eccleston was only going to be in one season, but you know it was talking about how they went to Paramount or CBS or whoever owned it at the time, and and they were the ones that said no. BBC was okay with it, mm. so would have been cool. Mm. Would have been cool. <laughs> All right. Well, definitely, I think the BBC had more to gain from it because they're just getting the doctor back in there, you know, proving they can do it and, you know, getting the the viewership back. So, I could see the BBC being uh more into it. I think it would have been beneficial for both. Oh well. That's uh my last comment for this one. Me too. All right. Let's go. Okay, so issue number 6 of Assimilation Squared Part 6 had a published date of October 2012. The production people... Everybody's the same. The cover shows a most unexpected handshake between the Doctor and a Borg drone taking place in a Borg cube. Behind the Doctor is his TARDIS, which we assume took him to the Borg cube. There is one alternate cover showing the Doctor, Rory, Amy, looking worried and running through a Borg cube. Borg drones are in front and behind them, quite the antithesis of the main cover. The issue opens on Tau Li Planetoid, a desolate rock in space. A familiar twinkling light show commences on the silent world, and when it completes, Captain Picard, the Doctor, and their various companions materialize on the dusty brown surface. 
data scans for the Borg representatives who are there to meet them on this nonpartisan location. The doctor makes multiple complaints about how this caution is not necessary, and Picard says it is more than necessary. He will not trust the Borg any further than he absolutely has to. The Borg contingent beams down. Its spokesman addresses Picard as Locutus of Borg, and with Picard's prompting begins to make their proposal. He states he is the conduit who will speak for the collective. The Borg collective is at risk of falling totally under the control of the Cybermen, and that cannot be allowed to happen. He asks if Picard will assist in the eradication of the Cybermen. Riker points out his surprise that the word assimilate was not used. The conduit explains assimilation was tried and failed, so eradication is the only option. Picard is told if the Borg fall to the Cybermen, the resources they will gain will make them unstoppable. Their fall will be next, so it is to their mutual benefit. Picard says after the defeat of the Cybermen, what guarantee will the Federation have that the Borg will not turn on them again? The Borg cryptically says they do not make assurances, but since the Federation's continued existence may safeguard the Borgs, no harm shall come to them. Picard and the Doctor take what they can get and ask the Borg how they shall proceed. The Conduit says he will accompany them on the Enterprise to provide a briefing and ongoing communication with the Collective. All assimilation systems will be removed from the Conduit's body to address Worf's vocal objections to having even one Borg on the Enterprise. As Picard is signaling his acceptance, Riker recognizes the Conduit as being Marcus Bertrand, the former captain of the Potemkin and his friend. The Doctor tries to calm Riker down. The Conduit explains that using a Borg that they once knew was hoped to make communication and even partnership more easily attained. Picard accepts it and hails the Enterprise to beam them up. On the ship, Picard asks what happened to the Borg-slash-Cybermen alliance. The Conduit explains that when they were first contacted by the Cybermen, they were intrigued. So many similarities in their principles and methods. Negotiations were ultimately successful, and the joint attack on the Federation was the Borg's first joint effort. The Doctor asks what went wrong. At first, Borg and Cybermen saw benefits of becoming one unity that could pool their resources into an unstoppable power, but deep down they saw the potential for betrayal in each other. The final trigger for the Cybermen's betrayal of the Borg was the Doctor. The very pale doctor acts surprised as the conduit explains that they detected the TARDIS on board the Enterprise and knew that the doctor's presence in this universe would introduce that small random element that could upend all their plans. Tensions continue to run high until the cyber controller took the opportunity to gain access to the Borg Executive Library and strip the Borg of most of their decision-making ability and securely lock it down. Stripped of the ability, the Borg became easy targets of the Cybermen attacks. The Cybermen now are racing to the Borg homeworld where the Cyber Controller will establish itself and complete the takeover of the Borg. They think if they can complete the takeover of the Borg before the Doctor uncovers their plan, there will be no stopping them. The Doctor admits they may be right but between him and Data, they start exploring the possibility of finding a copy 
a backup of the Borg Executive Library that could be restored. That would return the Borg to the ability to fight back and rebuff the Cybermen attack. The Doctor asks if there is an exact location and time in the past where Federation records can place a Borg ship. Riker and Picard say, with some hesitation, the Battle of Wolf 359. Very highly detailed records exist of that dark battle. 39 starships lost, 11,000 Starfleet personnel murdered. Riker brings up the challenge that catching up with the Borg controller's ship will be, considering their head start. The Borg conduit says the Enterprise engines are inefficient, and he will improve them to the point that they will catch up. Next, Riker says the Enterprise weapons are no match for the Cyber Controller's weapons and shields. The Conduit says he will modify the Enterprise's weapons to be effective against their shields. Picard asks how they will be able to deal with the Cybermen themselves. The Doctor says they are vulnerable to gold, but they will require so much that even the Enterprise's replicators won't be enough. Picard says he has an idea about that. They travel to Naya 7 and speak to the reluctant leader of that aquatic race about providing them with a prodigious amount of gold to save the quadrant, if not the galaxy. Despite the fact that gold is for some reason an embargoed material that the Federation is not allowed to extract from Naya 7, the Doctor's silver tongue speaks the truth and convinces them to give up all the gold they need. Back on the Enterprise, the Doctor and his companions head to the holodeck and the TARDIS within. Riker and Picard tell him that he needs to bring them along. The Battle of Wolf 359 was brutal, and he does not know what he's getting himself into. The Doctor shuts them down by saying they cannot cross over their own time streams. Period. The TARDIS departs, with Picard and Riker wondering whether they trust the Doctor yet. In transit on the TARDIS, Amy and Rory tell the Doctor that bit about crossing the time streams is rubbish. The Doctor has done it plenty of times himself, as the TARDIS materializes on the single Borg ship during the Battle of Wolf 359, the Doctor explains that no man should be forced to certain things twice. Once is more than enough. They exit the TARDIS and make their way nervously to their objective. They finally enter the control room and see Locutus, watching and directing the battle against many Starfleet ships. Between the Borg Cube's superior weaponry, shields, and the Starfleet tactical knowledge Locutus brings to the table, the Federation ships are taking a pasting. The Doctor assumes that Locutus will ignore their presence, as all the other drones have to this point. But Locutus turns away from the battle, and to them. The Doctor finds Locutus's laser targeting system on his forehead and can only say, Oh dear. To be continued. Good synopsis. Yeah, the Doctor's in a bit of a pickle. Mm-hmm. Am I the only one that kind of deep down was hoping that maybe we would see uh, Cisco at Wolf 359? Oh! We knew he, he was there. Yeah. Yep. I didn't even think of that. But that would have been cool. It's just a frame. It would make sense. Yeah. It might slow down the pacing of the story a bit, but that would be a nice little guest-starring snippet. Yeah, a little cameo. Now, I haven't read ahead, but the little advertisement for Issue 5 shows a giant battle, so 
one of those ships could easily be the Saratoga. Oh yeah. Are so you are not... you being are you being like um, coy, or you really haven't read the next two issues I, at all? I really haven't. I was did not want to spoil it, so I did not read ahead at all. Yeah, I'm just surprised you hadn't read them when they actually came out. Cause... No, I was purposely not reading them because I didn't want to spoil them whenever we did get around to doing the issue. And I purposely read them because I could not. <laughs> <laughs> Such valor that you have, Donovan. Such valor. Well, I, I'm not doing as well with the con uh, miniseries. I am yeah. reading those as they come out. So I haven't gotten to the comic book store this week, so I haven't, I haven't seen number two. But um, well, uh, sorry, we're we're jumping ahead a lot. <laughs> so, anyways. Um, I liked it. I liked this issue. Liked going to Wolf Three Five Nine, um, and they brought back the fish people from episode or issue two. Yeah, when they came back, I thought, oh, okay. Well, at least they had a point. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there was a reason why we spent all that time on that watery planet. What did you guys think of the reference uh, of the bad wolf reference? Did you get it? Yeah, we got it. I got it. I, I, I just didn't was, think it was a big deal, but it was a little forced. But I thought that was a a, a a way they were trying throughout this whole series. They're trying so hard to find these kind of little uh, references for those of you out there that aren't, don't know what we're talking about. When he first, uh, when Picard first says the Battle of Wolf Three Five Nine, there's a reference from the Doctor where he says, "Oh, bad wolf again," um, which is, yeah, like I say, it's a little forced, but it was a attempt to. To put the two together, right, and and I didn't think that whole bad wolf build up that they did. I, it, my personal opinion in in Doctor Who, I thought that was a great example of like big, big, big build up, and then the end. That's it. <laughs> Find your beach, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> now they they had overhyped that bad wolf thing too much i mean even the novels that came out during that time that was based in um that continuity which is for me the first my first exposure to the new rebooted doctor who was those first three novels that came out because i was in the uk i didn't have a dvd player so even though i bought the dvds i couldn't watch them because the hotel didn't have a dvd player i could borrow so (laughs) the only thing i could do is i went and bought the books and i was reading the books and to me, that that's my first Ninth Doctor story is these three novels. And in those novels, they kept talking about Bad Wolf. And I was even then going, that's weird. Why do they keep talking about this wolf thing? It must be in the show or something, and I haven't seen it. And then when it is in the show, it's just kind of subtle, but always there. And, and I thought it was a little anticlimactic at the end. Yeah. And it was just Rose reminding herself throughout time to, to do something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I liked it here. I did like it here. I, I'm I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I, thought, I thought it was cute. I thought it was just a, you know, like I said, these guys are working hard here. <laughs> well, and quite frankly, at that point, I was thinking they might be working too hard. But yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I hear what you're uh, the only way they could have made it better, this whole linking of the two franchises, is if they brought in Voyager somehow. And the doctor <laughs> steps out and he introduces himself to the doctor in the in on Voyager. Hi, I'm the doctor. No, I'm the doctor. No, I'm the doctor. <laughs> but um, bump. That would have been funny. Get it? <laughs> I got it. 
And then for the rest of Doctor Who, he's called the emergency medical hologram, and nobody knows why. <laughs> That's how he introduces himself. State the medical emergency. <laughs> Anyways. Back to this issue. Back to this yes. issue. I thought it moved the story along. I thought it was a good issue. Um, I'm sure you guys covered this in the first or second um, episode about the crossover. What do you think of the art, the style of the art? Gentlemen? Well, let's hear your opinion first. Cause... Yes, because we've stated our opinions. Yeah, I know. I love being the tiebreaker. Um, I, uh, I, it, the first time I saw it, the whole story, it looks like, like paintings as opposed to sort of comic book drawings. It really yeah. put me off. I didn't like it at all. But this time through, it, it grew on me. I kind of really like it. It has a kind of, I don't know, uh, import to it. I liked it. I, thought, I, I actually really do like the artwork in all these Good. books. I do. Well, I mean, once in a while, once in a while, the it's weird because on the same page you can have a, a a painting, if you will, of a character that is spot on, and then right underneath it is a panel where they don't look anything like <laughs> they're supposed to. But at the same time, I, I I in general think it's good. It's really good. I like the style. I don't think I'd want it all the time, and it kind of set this series apart for being that kind of style. Um, right. And I really liked it. All right, let me give you an example. If you look on page four, okay? And we have page numbers. We do, because we're all, nobody's online here. Um, I like this. And you look down the bottom right, that, that that's a pretty good portrait of Picard. But then look just to the left of it, at Picard and that. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look very good. It just, yeah, he looks, you know, like, I don't know, a grumpy Maytag man or something. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it, it, uh, but, and yet, I, I, in general, I think this is, this was a really good choice to go this way. If you yeah. turn the page and you look, uh, for example, on page seven, the middle left, you'll see a really good picture of uh, Riker. Oh dear God, he's got surprise! It looks just mm-hmm. like him. And then yeah. look down below that, and there's this like Rock of Stockholm robots dude that doesn't look like Riker at all. You murderers! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's inconsistent, yeah. but it's good. Yeah, and and Bertrand, Captain Bertrand, who's the conduit. There are some pictures where he looks all kind of blotty and kind of um, bloated or something. Yeah. Uh, especially in that one on page four, just above the really nice portrait of uh, Picard. Uh, you can't really see it because he's got a tube sticking out of his uh, left cheek. <laughs> I hate that. Yeah. But but his his whole left cheek looks like it's melting or something. Or they just right. use a little too much paint. A little too yeah, much yeah, watercolor. Yeah. But I completely agree with you guys, and especially the point about it making it unique and standing out. Um, I'm sure there are other comics that have used the style. Uh, they kind of used sort of something similar to this in a comic that we reviewed not too long ago. Um, but uh, I, 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 I like it. But it's not my favorite right. style. Yeah, and, and on my side, I really like it. I still like it. Um, it, it. I like the photo realistic at one point, and then you know, the the blotchy thing doesn't really bother me um, as much as it does Ken. I, I do notice it, obviously, but um, but just to get some of those panels where it just looks like they just took a picture and just drew it, you know, exactly. You know, you have all the perfect shading and everything. I, I just. So it's a nice trade-off for me, and then you know you get the sunsets and stuff like that, and it's just the colors are much more vibrant than what I'm used to 
with uh, just you know flat comic pages. Right. But mm-hmm. but anyways. Okay. Cool. Thank you. So uh, goggle Starfleet girl is back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the captain wasn't in here, right? No, no. The well, he might have died during the. Uh, oh, he might flood. have. Right. He, or he may be still injured. But uh, yeah, we got to see goggles, girl. Yeah, you know how dry her eyes must be for me. <laughs> I just want to rub them. I just want to rub my eyes, and I can't <laughs> ever. <laughs> and also, isn't gold? Isn't I, I get that they don't have. Um, enough replicator power juice time to make enough gold but I thought gold was no longer really a uh, a commodity in the 24th century it was all latinum now right and uh, they made it sound like this was such a you know an important precious thing that was going to keep their economy going I can imagine that different planets would be at, at different stages economically I get that but they made it just sound like it was this precious thing still well the fish people don't really deal with you know uh, the Starfleet universe at large, right? They're they're an isolated species that only deal with themselves and are allowing the Starfleet to mine it. But um, so that might be why, you know, for their economy, which is just their economy, because they don't do any type of trading, they still use the gold system. Hmm. But I agree with you. The you know they've made many comments and especially Deep Space Nine that gold is worthless and it's just used to wrap up the latinum. Right. Compress the latinum. Gold Gold pressed pressed latinum. I still don't quite understand that. but So the gold goes around the latinum. Right, because latinum is a liquid. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. I didn't get that. that. How how do you know that? Where does that come from? Uh, There's... There's one episode where Morn has a bunch of latinum and it's liquid and he hides it by drinking it into one of his oh. alternate stomachs and then it ends, you know, because the whole episode is them trying to find Morn's latinum and then at the end he pulls out a cup and he like starts spitting it out and then yeah. like, oh, he had it in his third stomach the whole time. But Oh boy, so, I missed that one. Yeah. Is that the one where they think he's dead? No, I think that's a different episode. Okay. Hmm. Or it might be the same episode. I don't remember. It all kind of runs together after know, the de- you know, a- after a few decades. Kind of. Well, you know, I'm I'm waiting for um, like for example, Next Generation. Uh, I'm not running out and buying the the remastered Blu-rays until they come out with the whole set because I figure that'll be cheaper. And I really would like to see the uh, you know Voyager, Enterprise, Deep Space Nine all in the high def when I when they all come out because it it made a real difference. Watching television in, you know, today is very different than it used to be. People sit down like the way I watch Doctor Who, and you suck a whole season down over the course of a week or in a night. With Netflix uh, or whatever. I kind of want to do that with the Star Trek series. I've done it with the original series now. Um, Because I watched all the the, uh, antecedent shows as they came out, you know, week after week, year after year. It'd be fun to just sort of take them all at once. Yeah, I've I've, I've marathoned through all of them here within the last you know ten years, except for Voyager. For whatever reason, I'm stuck on like the fifth season of Voyager, and we just haven't kept watching it. Can we assume that they're going to continue to remaster Deep Space Nine and Voyager? I hope they will. 
Oh, I'm sure they will. If there's money to be made. Yeah, it's a money-making machine. Well, that's, yeah. that's the question. Is there? Are people really buying them? Well, I know I am. Uh, I didn't. I haven't Thank bought. You can. I, Thank you. Season. I, I'm, I'm doing what I can to support it. Uh, season three and four, I definitely got because those are the bookend seasons with best of both worlds, and they were. I think they were the best seasons. I think you're right. Um, so I definitely did those, but I didn't. I didn't buy the second season. Mm-hmm. And I, I heard didn't that buy that the was first inferior. season. I heard that the effects, uh, the remastered effects in season two were inferior. They used a different company, and they weren't nearly as good. Oh, really? Well, even better reason not to. <laughs> although, although I will say that the night and day difference between the original series and the redone, yeah, uh, special effects that was yeah. night and day. Oh, um, it's, it's fun! It did such a good where... job. That was such a labor of love. Can I just rant about that for a minute? Sure. I, you, you know, they they not only did they go all the way back to the original negatives, clean them up to the point where they were almost too good because you could see like coffee stains on their shirts, but yeah. um, it was. They also, you know, did all the effects, but they didn't overdo them. They didn't put them like they were state of the art. And then, you know, I saw this in the the special features that they went back to the vaults and found the actual handwritten music for every episode, assembled an orchestra, and re-recorded all the music. That oh, I didn't know that. That's pretty intense. Yeah. yeah. Every every episode of the original series, the remastered has a completely different soundtrack with digital recorded orchestra. Um, yeah. So anyway, thank well, you for doing that right. Yeah. And another thing that I liked about those discs is they did, on the Blu-rays, provide the original special effects as well mm-hmm. as the redone ones, so you can wa- alternate between them and watch both. Yep. And actually seeing... I said, I think I've said this... I know I've said this to Donovan. Probably said this before on the on the podcast. But actually seeing the before and after, it's like, oh my God, the special effects were horrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's um, And I probably have mentioned this before on the podcast, but they did a lot of nice Easter eggs, too. They threw in a lot of little things. Um, the best example, example is a muck time. When they first get to where the arena is on Vulcan... The first shot you see is the three crossing over this sort of land bridge, which is incredibly yes. evocative of Star Trek Three. And then when they show you a far shot, a different shot of the arena itself, in the background is the city from um, which the name is escaping me, but it's from the animated episode um, when Spock goes back in time, and uh, it's his hometown basically. Right. So you you look at the the arena in the foreground and in the background is this sort of reference to the animated series. That's that's great. I mean, I had a lot of fun with that. I have to go back and watch that. Right. <laughs> we, I remember noticing we that. We see that but... same town in in Enterprise. Uh, I think season yes, two. Yes, yes. Well, in the in the forge and all that. They went right. back again and did all that. Um, Enterprise thought, took... Yeah, I thought they did a good job on that one to tie it in with the animated series. Mm-hmm. Anyways... Should we talk about this show? I think so. I've got a comment. Go. Okay, so I got to say, if the Federation was embargoed from mining gold on Naya 7, so did they have to start mining it, or they had been handing all this over to the Nyans? Hmm. Yeah. I... So I'm just I'm just wondering about the practicality time-wise. Because you got Riker saying they got a huge head start on us, and then you know, then what do they do? They go to Naya Seven, which probably wasn't on the way 
to uh, Borgville. So they're losing more time going back to Naya 7, convincing them to give them the gold. Then, did they have the gold just lying around? Or, I, I guess they must have, because if you had to go and now mine it, it's like there's no way you'd have enough time for all this stuff as the Cybermen get ever closer to, you know, the Borg homeworld. It was just bothering me a little bit. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I actually, I had the same same thought, not quite as, uh, I just thought, where are they getting this gold? <laughs> right, I mean, we've seen wow. mining in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, where they beam it off of Bajor onto the station to be then chipped away by the, the slaves and stuff, so I had the same question. I mean, how are they going to suddenly get all this gold? What form is it going to be in, and and how, you know, why, why didn't they just go back to Earth, get Fort, Fort Knox or whatever? I'm sure that <laughs> sure there's still an equivalent out there somewhere. Sure. <laughs> Just wondered. So can we talk about the Borg homeworld? What what does that mean exactly? Are we talking about the Delta Quadrant or are we talking cuz this is pre-Voyager. So, you know, do they they might not know that the Borg are from the Delta Quadrant quite yet. Oh, I think they established that. Didn't they establish that in the very first Borg episode? that they were coming from the Delta Quadrant? I don't think they actually said that, did they? I just know that they said that it was further than they've ever been before. And, you know, and when Q sent them out that far, uh, you know, they were sent out further than they should have been at at that point in time. Right. But right. Uh, I don't think it ever actually said Delta Quadrant. I might be right. wrong. Although it doesn't contradict it. No. Um, but I'm just wondering, you know, how far do they think they're having to go? And, you know, in Descent Part 1 and 2... Jordy was able to create transwarp drives to get them to, you know, a Borg home world in that episode. So I don't really understand what the Borg drone is doing for the Enterprise that, you know, Jordy hasn't already done. Hmm. Well, apparently getting them to travel faster than warp nine and uh <laughs> retain your normal features. Exactly, not turn into amphibious <laughs> whatever. <laughs> okay, so that was a Voyager reference, but right, right, yeah. right. I just got it. Okay, thanks. Yeah, the, the the most the most talked about Voyager episode ever on this show because we bring it up probably every third or fourth episode. <laughs> <laughs> it was ridiculous. It was pretty bad. Anyway, yeah. All right. Anything else? I did have one plot question or thought was of of all the times that they could have pinpointed where to find the Borg, did they really need to go to Wolf three five nine, where you know it was kind of the most dangerous place they could possibly be? Couldn't they have picked you know earlier in the episode where before <laughs> Card is assimilated, or I mean maybe they didn't want to cross their own timeline. Who knows? But it just seemed like. It wasn't the only choice, and it was not the no. best choice. You know? <laughs> but it was the coolest choice. No question about it. No question about it. But it just, it just, it, nobody sort of blinked when they said, "Oh, I know where we could go." <laughs> yes, during the biggest battle ever to take place in right. the Alpha Quadrant, the greatest loss to Starfleet. Um, let's go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they should have just gone to you know that planet where they found Hugh. You know, you here's a already broken board cube. Just, just do your magic there. Although, do we know when we can place this in the next generation timeline? When is the story taking place? I 
think we've assumed Good question. we've kind of figured that it must be the sixth sixth season at some point. Well, has Troy already put on her blue uniform in no. sixth season? No, she wears it in the seventh season, and that's why we're saying that it has to be before that. Okay, that that's that's our that's the peg that we hang it all on. Yep. There's got to be other references in here that we could find. Well, it has to be after four, and it has to be before seven. Well, do they ever do they ever give a star date in any of this? Uh, no, I don't remember. I don't seeing remember one. seeing any. There's no captain's log or anything like like we normally get. Huh. Nope. Well, we know it's after season two because they got the collars. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, and and after and a, a, after the uh, Borg attack, obviously. Oh, right. After Wolf three five nine. Right. Thank you. And Wesley and Roe are not on there, so that's why we were saying that it might be six. Ooh. Right. Forgot about that one. Alright. We've got we've given it some thought. <laughs> right. Alright. Anything else, guys? Nope. That's it. Okay. Another good one. So the Doctor and Companions in extreme peril. How will they get out of this one? We'll have to find out in the next thrill packed issue. And I, uh, I have to thank you both for uh, for inviting me back. I, I, I enjoy it so much, and uh, I was a little concerned because I hadn't heard your first two episodes, and now I'm gonna have to wait like everybody else to hear the fourth. That's just uh, right. But you know, still, I appreciate the chance to to uh, come into the sandbox and play. Oh, our pleasure. Yeah, anytime. You just ping us. We'll we'll throw you in. Oh, I will. I will. I, will, I will ping you. Sounds good. All right. Well, then we'll close up and we'll be back next week and finish off the, the miniseries. Excellent. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. See you out there. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.